G'day, here at the Regenerative Journey, part of our goal is to educate our followers on the benefits of knowing where their food comes from and the knock-on effects this can have on our health, our environment and our future generations. Understanding the connection has never been more important and in the spirit of this endeavour, we have teamed up with Highland Beef Pastoral Company, a grass-fed beef supply chain servicing the growing US grass-fed consumer market, who I'm excited to announce are our Season 6 show sponsors. Essentially, this Australian-based business places cattle on their member graziers' properties at no expense to the farmer and provides competitive returns for every kilo of beef produced, allowing their graziers to focus on improving their businesses in a capital-free and risk-free environment. Highland Beef Graziers are some of the best grass and animal managers in the country. Livestock are humanely and lovingly cared for while on their farms and customers are guaranteed a very high-quality, regeneratively managed grass-fed and finished product with full transparency from farm to plate. If you're interested in finding out more about this program, visit hbpastoral.com.au forward slash Charlie Arnott. Ultimately, why we started this is, you know, to get ourselves uh, a stable market and then help other farmers get a stable market for their livestock as well. So, you know, that, that green grass and that lifestyle and that ideology of being able to be farmers and, you know, looking after our land and our, and our country is what does inspire us every day to, to do what we do. That was Dave McGiveron, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host, Charlie Arnott, an eighth-generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome back to the Regenerative Journey. You hopefully had about a wonderful, um, restful, festive season, uh, you know, with family, with friends, whatever, whatever you're doing, um, because I'm recording this pre-Christmas and so um, I trust everyone's had a lovely, lovely break and getting themselves G'd up for their, uh, for 2023, I'm not sure, I sort of, sort of have done New Year's resolutions before Um Again, you know, like maybe like most people don't really stick to them because what I don't do is create the system that actually supports the achievement of those resolutions, you know. Keeping those resolutions and actually make them actionable and, um, and executable uh, is the biggest trick. We can have our dreams and aspirations and goals, fantasies, desires, all of that stuff. However, 
if we don't put them into action. Uh, and I am guilty of doing that, not putting them into action. Again, not supporting, not putting a system in place to uh, to support the the rollout, the progression of them. There's your little Tony Robin, Robin's moment, straight up. Um, talking about straight up, I won't gin around too much. Um, we'll talk, um, I'll just get into the, the interview. Um, I'm here at, uh, just quietly at, at Hannah Minow in the loft. Um, oh, you can hear those beautiful birds tweeting in the background. Love it. Plenty of activity in the garden today. Um, Dave and Bianca from Our Cow, you, um, if you listened to last week's episode, or the, well, actually, we've had a bit of a, we had a bit of a break um, mid, well, sort of um, after Christmas and New Year, uh, give you all a bit of a spell from um, from it all and probably catch up potentially. Dave and Bianca, Our Cow, amazing, you know, some years ago, um, uh, partners bought a farm, doing it pretty tough, um, I have to say, uh, well, that's what they, they tell us. And I don't dis- I don't um, doubt that for a minute. Um, uh, that time of the the, the years, the seasons, the, the their lives, and so on. Um, some very dry times and very very big challenges for a lot of farmers. Dave, I actually saw them first. I might have mentioned this in the interview, but um, I met them first at a pitch day. I think it was 2018, 2018, 2019, 2018 potentially, um, at the farm at Byron Bay, Adam Gibson. Um, uh, and I sort of put that on and it was fantastic. We had Charlie Massey speak. We had, uh, I think Hamish McCoy might have spoken. I can't, can't remember now. But anyway, we had a, basically an event where people turned up with, you know, uh, somewhat of a pitch and there was a bit of tuition around how to how to present that. Anyway, Dave and Bianca sort of turned up and and um, their picture was essentially like us on Facebook, you know. Um, they had a great idea, um, not one that, it, you know, wasn't necessarily unique. Uh, however, it was um, they have gone on from strength to strength and through sheer hard work and intelligence and learning and hunger to just achieve their vision, they have a, an extraordinarily large business now Um you know, starting off in a small butcher shop they were renting and just doing their own animals and then expanding and then now they've sort of got somewhat of a, a factory slash plant in casino and uh, doing, you know, they've got all sorts of meats. So they started basically, um, I won't bang on it because you'll, you'll listen and find out, with, you know, selling their own beef, you know, uh, in the car up to Brisbane, you know, door to door. Um on the phone, that sort of stuff, and uh, now that's morphed into a, a, a national business. I have to say, because I think it's it's certainly up and down the east coast. Um, they're doing some interesting stuff next year with seafood. Uh, well, this year that you're listening to it in, and um, just incredible couple. So look, I won't bang on anymore. I don't think I need to. Just get your ears into this one. Um, find a nice quiet spot or go for a long walk. Um, Dave and Bianca from Our Cow, they're out and they're here, they're now. They're, you'll be listening to them as soon as I shut up. And um, and welcome to 2023. I'm, I'm not sure if I'd mentioned that in my last episode, but um, let's hope, uh, let, not just hope, I'm not a big fan of hope. I like people whose name is Hope, but um, the word hope, it's just not sure it conjures up the right sort of things. Uh, is it like faith? You know, is faith and hope a similar thing? Don't know. But anyway, uh, let's trust. I trust that 2023 is going to be a cracking year for you, that you use whatever lessons you've learned in the last year or your entire life to this point and apply them to 2023. But let's apply years to Dave and Bianca from Our Cow. Uh, Now on The Regenerative Journey. Uh, Dave and Bianca, welcome to The Regenerative Journey. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me in, and welcome to your uh, boardroom. Um, what do we call this room? 
Bianca's office. It's Bianca. It's sort of it's it's part of Bianca's office, who I have to say has a much nicer office than you, Dave. Mm, yeah. Where <laughs> we might yeah. we might I'll do pay it. the bills if she gets a nicer <laughs> office. How do you work That's that out? marketing. <laughs> We're going to have a bit of a deep dive. Bianca made a comment before about that, and I thought that's what we'll touch on, I reckon, as I try and make sure my gear doesn't fall apart. I need a screwdriver there. Um, what we're you – guys, you guys are our cow, and um, if anyone hadn't heard of these guys, you've been living under a rock for most of your life, and if you are on YouTube, you should see the, the very recognisable signature green shirts that the guys have on. Who actually makes your shirts? Who's this guy? Who's this one? Uh, right, mate. Right, mate. Makes our shirts. Right, mate. Right, mate. I haven't even heard of them. They're fantastic. Open to a sponsorship if they're listening. <laughs> so, right, so they're like the other ones that I may not mention the name of because if you get a sponsorship, you don't want me sort of putting the, co- the competitors out there. Very similar, but we haven't been able to find anyone else that does our emerald green. You know what I might do? I think what we'll do is we'll actually hang out that. That's a good idea. And then it doesn't matter who's talking. There we go. The lights are green. That's good. Okay, good God, idea. see, I'm learning too. Um, so, right, I've never heard of them. Yeah, they're just an um, average sort of work shirt that do a, do a good job. And they do the embroidery and everything? Well, we have a local lady that does our embroidery. Now, local means we're in casino. Yeah, you guys just sorry work. work. No, no, don't be sorry. It's all good. Um, local is casino. We're here in casino, and I want to snuggle up to you a bit no, more there, right. Bianca. Just to, to, no, no, don't be in. You spend enough time with your with your with your husband partner. Are you guys married? No, we're not. <gasps> Close enough. Oh, is that? A, oh, maybe we should stay away from that topic. Stay away from that. Okay, one year's husband. Not a sensitive topic. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, it's not husband and wife; it's partners. That's easy, politically correct. Um, so, welcome to your your other part of uh, Bianca's office. We are in casino, and we're here to talk about your regenerative journeys and. Um, Yours is particularly unique, and we'll get to unpack that as we go. As I say to everyone, everyone has a regenerative journey. You don't have to be a farmer, and you guys are farming, but you're doing other special things um, to qualify as a guest because it's not just about, you know, a regenerative farmer. It's regenerative living and regenerative life, you know, and you're, you guys, I I know, and we'll get to it, are, are um, contributing to regenerative lifestyles of many, many people around the country. So what, <laughs> I usually start because I'm at someone's farm, and I know that you guys are busy today, so we're here at the at your – do you call it a factory? It's not really a factory, is it? What is it? Your, your processing plant. Yep. Yeah, in Casino, because um, your farm is an hour and a bit away, and the timing was just, wasn't going to work to do with that. So I usually do it on farm or in, the, in, in a guest garden or their place of work, which we are in your place of work, um, and which, which, which um, is a catalyst for – questions like why are we here you know looking out at a paddock and it's wonderful and what what inspires you but here, we're here looking at a white wall and a door where the bathroom's just around the corner so we'll have, kind of step around that one um well, i guess we can talk about yeah that, we, 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 i can still pose the same question yeah. just in a different context yeah i think that exactly what you just said the the green paddocks and the lush grass and that is what inspires us to be able to do what we do and um, bring a lot of other farmers on our journey I guess that, that is ultimately why we started this is you know to get ourselves uh, a stable market and then help other farmers get a stable market for their livestock as well so mm-hmm. you know that that green grass and that lifestyle and that ideology of being able to be farmers and you know looking after our land and our, and our country is what does inspire us every day to, to do what we do. 
And we wouldn't be here right now if we didn't have that farm behind us. You know, we wouldn't have made the decisions that we had to make in order to be here right now. We, you know, if we didn't weren't faced with droughts, bushfires, poor prices, everything else that a farmer goes through, it probably wouldn't have enabled us to do what we do and made the decisions to start the business our cow. And work as hard, as, I guess, as well. Yeah. So your farm is an hour a bit to the west, yeah. heading over towards Tenerfield. Yeah. Um, can you explain it? Because we're not going to get there today. Can you just explain, you know, size, kind of what it means to you. When did you when did you kick it off there? Yeah, so we bought our farm in 2017, um, and it's just a bit over 2,000 acres. Uh, fairly, like fairly remote, I guess. We're an hour and a half from any town, so an hour and a half sort of southeast of uh, Tenerfield, an hour and a half southwest of Casino, or an hour and a half north. Uh, west of Grafton so you're on the Clarence River um, you know we don't have good river frontage we've got some good creeks on our property but not the best river frontage and I guess you know our, our block is um, it does have some good creek flats but predominantly is a bush block you know we've got a lot of native um, timber and pastures and, and things that like that that we got to work with as well it's a fairly substantial bush block but it was all that we could afford at the time you know it was our first farm and it's so difficult for young people to get into agriculture and buy their own farm so you know it was all that we could afford at the time but we've made it um, a decision we looked the whole way up and down the east coast of australia for a farm that you know suited us and as soon as we went there we, we knew it was going to be our farm for the rest of our life and what, what age, can I ask you, is that a rude question? No, I was 23 when we bought the farm. Um, I was 28, I think, yeah, when we first bought that property. Yeah. And that was uh, 17, did you say? It's five yeah. years ago. Is that yeah. five years ago? How's my mass? 17, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, how, how, how many acres again? Just, just over 2,000. Just over 2,000. That's not small. Yeah, no, it's a good-sized farm. Look, I grew up on farms and I had a smaller block before this, a little 100-acre place, but... Uh, when we come down this way, we wanted to be able to like live off of our farm and have have it productive enough so that we could run enough cows, um, you know, turn over, turn off enough weaners so that we could make an income off of our farm and I guess uh, cow calf unit to price per hectare. Um, that was sort of the best that we could afford at that point. It's not like I said, it's not the best property. You know, we can't put on. Uh, we, can't, we can't turn off our wieners at 400 kilos like a lot of people can, but, you know, it's, it's a good place and a good start for us. Well, I guess it all depends on um, what, your, what your definition of best is, you know. Like, it's clearly what you, you – yes, it's what you can afford, but it's, it's clearly got you to where you are now, which, again, we'll get into. So it's actually been a wonderful oh, – yeah. you know, it's, yeah. probably, it's probably actually been the best, yeah. you know, because it, it probably – pushed you to explore other ideas that you may not have if you'd had a different block with lots more grass and lots more capacity perhaps you know so so it was actually it's actually been perfect yeah and i think it's that that place and our farm was probably the reasoning behind the business like we we weren't in a position where we could live just off our cow numbers or off the farm itself and we sort of came up we, we both said to each other well we can't afford to buy you know another couple of thousand acres and have a thousand cows around us just to live off the farm what else can mm-hmm. we do to make the most out of our block that we had and that was I guess where this whole thing sort of came from and you know that's really in, you know interesting and again we'll get to it i hope i'm sort of building the building the, the tension for our listeners going, what, is, what are you talking about um that you you had a vision and you're kind of the 
the the geography and the the, the logistics and the capacity, the resources you had wasn't going to didn't stop you clearly from kind of you know living that that dream and helping others live their dream as well. Um, so so far, oh, and you got short horns. Uh, we run a Santa Hereford cow base and then yeah. put short on balls back over short on balls. Yeah. So just because of our bush flock. Um, you know, it's a bit lighter country. We run a little bit of uh, content in, in our cows and then we put short on balls back over them and then we, um, all, all of the salt, like all the old terminal after that. Yeah, nice. Um, so do you have, with the bit of Boss Inigus, the, the Santa, which is like five-eighths short on anyway, yep. um, is, do you have a, is that because for the climate, is it sort of a, is it the heat? Is it the, you know, it wouldn't get ticks out there, do you? Uh, no, no ticks, but just the um, the lighter country and the, yeah. and the doability. doability. They do, yeah. they do a bit better in our country. We found yeah. it's, it's coastal country, but um, it does get cold. You know, we're minus seven sometimes out our way. Um, you know, for, and this winter's been particularly hard, I guess, mm. on our cows. So, and it's probably most places around the east coast mm. has been particularly hard on livestock, but. Um, yeah, we, we, that's the sort of the, the way that we've gone. The, mainly the, the, the bit of content in them for the cow herd for doability, but the short on balls for the meat quality is really what we're chasing. I think is you know out of the animals that we've processed so far, we've probably you know processed ten or twelve thousand animals through our plant, and um, just say the exceptional doability off of the grass and the marble content that we can get off of the grass out of a short on animal. Did everyone hear that? I hope you did. These guys know what they're talking about. Shorthorn. We've been shorthorn producers and and, and um, breeders. I think our family, the Manchi side, so my great my grandmother on dad's side, um, they started the Yambergen shorthorn. Started in 1956 up at yep. up at Yambergen in Queensland. Yep. So we've been shorthorn. I, I always get asked, you know, why shorthorn. And I, and I say, well, as if you'd have Angus <laughs> is the first thing I say, oh, no, which well, always puts people off. They see how those Angus say, oh, blacks, blah, blah, blah. We still process a lot of black cattle. Oh, I'm sorry. Mainly, mainly <laughs> a lot of British red cattle, but, um, you know. Short horns are out thick. Yeah, that's, that's what we run on our farm anyway. Well, I can't, I'm actually really excited to hear that. You can't be a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I bought some, um, uh, this is going nowhere where I thought it was going to go, but it's fine. I, last week I bought some um, uh, composite bulls from Johnny Wright down there at Blue E at Woodstock near Burrower. I bought one actually. Last year we bought three. I bought one this year, and they're like a they're an Angus um, Angus Shorthorn cross, but yep. with some Simmental as well. And we used to do Simmental years ago um, with Charolais and Santa. We had these enormous Charolais Santa cows, the biggest things you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. oh, they were enormous. And there's still every now and again, and I'm talking 25, 30 years ago, and every now and again you'll get these creamy calves come through. They're still coming through, and we haven't had those cows for 25 <laughs> years. It's incredible. Um, so we're going, you know, put a bit more meat on the bones of the yep. Shorthorns, you know, and that. And, but that's I'm really pleased to hear that because I we love them just for so many reasons, but they, they look, they're individual. You know, they've got different colour colorations and, and their, matern, you know, their maternal traits just outstanding. Yeah, and I think the genetics as well is obviously something that you that you want to strive for. But we're looking for meat quality in our business. You know, we're not looking for growth rates or things like that. Our, our animals, we process them a lot lighter than probably um, you know going through a feedlot or something like that. So we look, you know, a lot of farmers are actually breeding animals for our program now. So our bull size, our frame score size, our cows are a bit smaller because we process you know a yearling animal. So 
Um, and, and we're after meat quality, so the marble, marbling that we can get off of the grass out of those animals is what we're chasing. And we do get, we, you know, uh, admittedly with the blacks, we do get some good marbling off of the grass of the black cattle as well, but uh, probably the, the genetics of the shorthorns that we're using at the moment, you know, we're up to a four or five for a, for a yearling type animal marble score just straight off of the grass without going into a feedlot, you know, so... What's interesting, um, <clears throat> we sold some weaners, um, our short on weaners earlier this year, and they um, they made they, they didn't make as much as the as the Angus one. Same car, you know, same weight, same sales, pen side by side. You know, it's interesting that which 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 I was a bit dark on. I thought, oh bloody, you know, just because they're black, they they're worth more, yeah. uh, and that's fine. That's just what it is. But it did get me thinking about you know the opportunity there is to. Because when you sell when you sell that animal when it's finished, so if you're going to a feedlot or even a grass fed thing, they're worth the same, a black and a red, you know, the short horns. Mm. So there's actually an opportunity there. Yeah. There's a margin there to pick up the, the short horns at a discount, basically, because mm-hmm. they're not black, but take them to a point where they're worth as much as one, you know. So I've been thinking about how to – but, you know, I, I don't like going to feedlots at all. I just – I've got a real thing about that. Um, we have, um, and – you know, but to sort of explore more the grass-fed situation. We'll get into that. Let's get back to chronological order of your lives. Sorry, no, that was, no, 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 that was all I'm not talking about. talking about cows. No, same, same. That's why we had so we spent the first 13 minutes doing that, <laughs> and I didn't mean to. But I want to get back to breeding because I think that's um, uh, what you mentioned there, Dave, before um, about influencing your your suppliers. I think that's, that's a really like a really interesting step you've got you've you've got to you know the in the in a relationship building mm. i'm not sure who wants to go first because i'll take you back to um your childhoods did you know each other when did you i'm going to sort of go to when did you meet and then we'll just quickly what age were you when you met uh, i would have been 20 and dave was 24 something no 26 yeah and where did you meet? Um, so I got a job in a coal mine, actually, in central Queensland. Yeah. And Dave was my supervisor. So that oh, went Dave. down well. Um, <laughs> one, of those, one, of those, one of those stories. Yeah, that, that's the story, basically. Dave yeah. chased me around the paddock for two years and <laughs> finally gave him a... Gave him a chance, I suppose. <laughs> Here we are. Let's go on and get back to that one. When your two separate lives collide. Yeah. Um, Bianca, do you want to go first? Where were you? Where did you? Where did your life kick off? You were born. I was born and raised in Port Macquarie, mid North Coast, New South Wales. And then when I was probably twelve or thirteen, we moved to Cairns. So my family all moved up to Cairns, and we I went to school up there. Um, <laughs> so Dave's head doesn't get it taken out. No, no, don't be sorry. I just want to make sure your beautiful melon gets put on the thing as well. Yeah. So we moved up to Cairns, and um, I worked in. Nothing to do with farming. I was in. A, I was a youth worker, hospitality, and then worked in the mines. So that's where we met. And I don't know. I just always had this inkling that I would somewhere along the lines end up on a farm. I don't know what it was, but I just had this feeling that I wanted to be in the country. I wanted to be on a farm. I didn't know how that was ever going to happen, but um, yeah. And then I met Dave, and we. I moved from Cairns down to Kelbar, where Dave was living at the time. We had a little. Where's place. that? Uh, where Boona. Just, just outside of Ipswich. Senior okay. Senior yeah, 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 nice. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I moved down there. That was probably the first little bit of country life I'd ever experienced. I'd come out of the city, um, moved down there, and we probably spent a good couple of years looking for a farm. 
we sort of decided that we wanted to live on a farm and we looked everywhere, like Dave said, all up and down the east coast until we found our place. And did your other, you said youth worker and what, what was the other skills you had You had to the uh, other hospitality, experience? Hospitality, youth worker and then mining. Did they, um, what skill, what, what of those skills or experiences did you bring to the, to the, to the party that, that are now kind of, you know, you, you're using? Actually, just come, just come over this way a bit, guys. I reckon given that you're, yeah, that's it. Then we get less of the mic in Dave's face in terms of the video there. That's good. I think that, that'll, be, that'll work better. Um, I think probably the main skill that I picked up from my work life beforehand would be the storytelling and just listening to people's stories in my youth work role. I, you know, worked with so many disengaged young people that were, um, you know, struggling and not engaged in the community. And I just, I would sit there for hours and listen to them talk. And I just loved hearing their stories, where they came from, why they were here. And it really helped them, I guess, to be able to heal and talk to people. But just the I, you know, it just made me feel so connected to them, listening to their stories and where they'd come from and what experiences they've had. So, and I think that's probably one thing that I really love about our, our business now is just the the storytelling of our farmers, knowing where they've come from, and just being able to share that with our customers and our further network through the power of social media. So you're quite active on social media, so that's obviously that's one of the, the mediums we have to engage. Yeah. Um, so, well, isn't that wonderful? I always, you know, t- when talking to people about, and often, what was I doing the other day? Oh, our biodynamic workshops where people go, oh, I was a lawyer or a doctor or a digital marketing person, and they've found them, they've done the training, they've had the experience, they go into farming, and it's interesting how, and I sort of predict because that tends to happen, yeah, you know, farming is not being a lawyer, but somehow those skills kind of come out as well because that's just the innate thing. Even if they're ones they went to uni for and mum said to go and do a, some degree and they go, oh, whatever, but they still get to use them. Mm-hmm. And that's the lovely thing about agriculture, I think, is there's so many – it requires such a diverse skill base, you know. Like you guys are doing what you're doing, but your experience with with listening and helping pe- people tell stories, you know, and engaging in that way, yeah. like that's one of your strengths, yeah yeah for sure I guess that like that part of it and then probably the mining side of things is probably more so to do with the production environment that we've created here with our business like we're very production orientated we've created a really good culture with our crew and our team and that you know they like coming to work they like being here I think and you know working working with us it's not, to it's not, it's to, not what I hear <laughs> to achieve <laughs> no, the goal. so just having that production mindset of being able to um, effectively produce meat. When you were at the just referencing the mine, what were you doing there? What was it, what was your kind of your role? I was an operator, so I was a truck driver to start with, and then I learned a few other skills, a few other different machines out there, loaders, dozers. So out this is, there is an open mine. Open, open cut, open, yeah, open yeah. cut coal mine. Yeah. But you, you girls are much better drivers. Yeah, we are. We're much better drivers. We're favoured out there because we look after the gear a lot better, and um, I was. Pretty good truck driver, I would say, wasn't I, David? Was Dave was Dave was Dave a good driver? Were you driving, or were you just overseeing everything? Dave was a supervisor, so he was like the big boss. Did he just did he, did he sit in one of those demountable things, just like yelling instructions and looking at binoculars through binoculars, saying, "Oi, Bianca, slow down." It was basically in a light vehicle. He'd drive around in a car and a, and a radio. Yell at everybody. Yell at everybody. Yeah. No. You didn't sometimes feel like in your big truck backing over his little you. <laughs> Go shut up. Probably several times. <laughs> Maybe Bianca didn't, but a, several, a few other people might. 
Um, no, I keep hearing that. There's much many more female drivers for that very reason. They're just much more careful than the blokes trying to, like, pop monos. Like, you probably pop a mono on one of those things. Mm. Um, so, okay, that was to, to, to that point. Um, Dave, where – and then so you – where was home for you when you grew up, born and so on? Um, so I grew up on the Gold Coast inland. My family were fifth-generation dairy and banana farmers. At, near near um, Burner there? No, no, actually on the back of the Gold Coast, right near the M1 motorway, sort of Ormo King's home area, right. Pimpermire River in between the rivers there. Um, before and, development. Yeah, before the Gold Coast turned into a million people everywhere. But, you know, some of the best farming land around, um, really high rainfall, good soils. There was red soil. Um, we used to farm our bananas. We used to grow ladyfinger bananas. I think we had about 35,000 banana plants at one point. True. And then we had a run of um, dairy cows. And then um, through the... Through the late 90s, uh, the 90s drought in this area, um, my family, you know, ended up losing those farms at that point through the 90s drought. So we, we did go into beef um, and then went, went um, you know, lost those farms through the 90s drought. So it sort of affected me pretty heavily. I was only 10 or 11 years old then. Um, and then, you know, in my early teens, I moved to central Queensland, the uh, Springshaw area and was working on a few different farms in central Queensland around there. Um, and then basically, you know, a, a coal mine opened up down the road and I put my name down for a job there when I was 17. I've seen all this big money and I like driving machinery when I was a kid. I loved driving granddad's dozer and putting in banana patches and things on the Gold Coast. And then, uh, so I just wanted to get into the mines to drive the biggest piece of equipment I could. So... And, um, yeah, so I worked my way up as a machine operator, uh, you know, started off driving dump trucks and bulldozers and excavators and big 600-tonne excavators and then to a rope shovel and did a bit on a drag line and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, and then become a supervisor and a boss for the uh, biggest mining company in the world. And uh, I guess probably the, the skills that I learned was... Um, you know, not how to run a culture, I guess. I think culture was pretty terrible at that place at that point and I didn't want... I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It didn't matter how much money that you were earning at that place. It just, it was somewhere where I'd never wanted to be and I didn't want, uh, Bianca and I both made that decision that we didn't want to be there no more. We, we walked away from a lot of money. We saved our asses off to, to buy our first farm and that was the goal that we stayed in the mine to, to buy our farm and then we just walked away from um, a couple of big paychecks to to nothing onto a little farm and then started going into a pretty dra bad drought. But it was just something that I learned was I didn't want to be a part of that culture, you know, of, of um, I wanted to have something that people wanted to be a part of and, uh, you know, really felt valued in what they were doing. I think your people skills too probably is one thing that you... Yeah, really I think, you know, I don't know, I guess so, but probably, you know, I like dealing with people and I like the relationships. I just think that... Uh, you know, even still now, all of our relationships with our farmers, our, you know, they're all based off handshakes, you know, so we, I don't have any contracts in place with anybody. It's just, you know, I want to work with people that are stand-up characters that have got some morals and ethics and integrity in what they do. And I think um, having having those relationships and um, I guess I was pretty good at people skills as well. And how long you guys, um, when you guys met and, and then, you know, was that a year or two before you then went, oh, this is enough and we've saved money and we'll go? Like, was there a long period of time or was it pretty, um, pretty quick? 
I reckon it would have been about three years. We sort of, we met, we started seeing each other and then we thought, we thought, well, let's save as much as we can to purchase a farm. And we probably did that for a good two and a half years. We were still in the mines. We just saved. ate Vegemite sandwiches every night and oh, just tried yeah. everything, saved every bit of money that we could. Yeah. To, um, you know, because, you know, that 40% deposit, it's, it's a, a big chunk of money for a young person to have in the bank account with no one behind her. You know, we had several people say to us that, um, you know, don't you have any family members or anybody that can lend you the money? We're like, no, no, you know, like it was, it was to try and get our own little farm and, and um, you know, get, get into agriculture, I guess. Well, and just looking at what the real estate um, job's done in the last five years too, you know, it was a good time you got, you got in. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's going to be even harder for young people to get in. And we're really passionate about trying to get young people into ag as well because I think there's so many it's such a great industry to be in and there's so many good ideas that are coming out and about now from the young people that are are passionate about there's so many girls that are involved in ag now where you know when I was a kid it probably wasn't so much like it was you know I looked up to my mum that was in the cattle industry back then and um, you know she was a tough woman and um, probably didn't get as much respect as she probably should have by the, by the males in that industry, I suppose. So it's really good to see the girls in the industry having a good crack. I think it's um, – that's one of the things I'm – a relief is not the word, but kind of really excited about and confident about the future of ag. And also, you know, I guess the field of ag we're in <laughs> – oh, excuse me. Yeah, you guys are – and we'll get, we'll get to that, you know, regenerative, sustainable – natural farming or whatever, non-industrialised farming, is the women in that space are just slaying it. You know, it attracts good good women as it attracts good blokes too. And that's not to say there aren't those types of people in, in you know, um, conventional agriculture by any means. But I think there's, it takes a certain person male or female, to have the courage to kind of try things differently, you know, and go against the grain and bust paradigms, that sort of thing. Again, I'm not, I am talking it up a bit, but, but at the same time, it's, it's just a fact. You know, that's what I've found. I've spent men, most of my life in conventional farming and then I've spent the last 15, 20 years in a different type of farming. Yeah, I think and that's, that's just what I've found. You know, like Bianca's thoughts around farming and, and agriculture, but it was just someone that wasn't in the industry and has seen what happens for the last 200 years to have a fresh thought on how can we do something different because this isn't clearly working. If it was up to me, I probably still would have been a wiener producer selling me wieners to the sale yards every week and or every year and, you know, trying to do the same thing all the time and bust your guts and not know what you're going to get for your livestock. But took some fresh thinking from outside the industry from Bianca to really, um, you know, create what we have now. Bianca, um, do you think having fresh eyes, not being, you know, the daughter of a farmer or in that sort of thing has been a, been a positive generally or not? Oh, 100%. I think me not having any farming experience or any understanding how the farming industry worked was probably instrumental to us being where we are right now. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't understand how you would spend 12 to 18 months producing something and have no idea what you were going to get for it at the end of the day that just baffled my mind you know you could that no other industry does that I always relate things back to shopping because I'm a girl so I could not walk into a shop and offer the lady behind the counter $50 for a dress even though it was worth a hundred dollars and just expect her to accept it because that's basically what happens as a as a livestock producer you just take your cattle to sale yards and hope to buggery that the price is going to be up on the day and you just take what you're offered like it doesn't make any sense for 
to me and that's sort of the reasoning I guess why we started it so we could secure a bit of um, the, secure an income for ourselves and have a bit of stability in our farming operation um, so and I agree I think that's such a such a great it's a it's a real um, it can be quite a, a liability and I've said it before but I'll say it again you know having the the paradigms of farming and going, oh, that's just how we do it, and that's just and not having that sort of different perspective. So, um, got together a couple of years mining, looked all over the place, found the farm, started there, and twenty seventeen was it? Twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, not long after, I guess twenty eighteen, pretty tough year. Nineteen, tough year. Mm. Yeah, well, 2017, we'd bought the farm. We had a small fire come through in 2017, and then 2018 was pretty much the start of the drought. It started getting really dry, 2018. We had another small fire in 2018, and then we kind of came into 2019 very, very dry. And then you've got the black summer bushfires that happened at the end of 2019, 2020. So it was pretty much four very tough years the first four years on the farm and it was probably even amplified because we'd gone out on such a limb to buy the farm to start with 40 percent deposit no money in the bank we went into a lot of debt for livestock because we couldn't get a bank loan for livestock so we booked livestock up through a stock and station agent on 13 percent interest rates at um you know we we paid quite a a bit for the cows at the time because the market was up and then we went through the droughts and the bushfires and we were forced to turn off the cows because we we just didn't have the feed or the water to, to sustain them at a loss. So we'd paid this much, we were getting this much mm. and we, we still owed money on them. So we were going backwards at a rate or not and just the financial pressure that that put on both of us was astronomical, wasn't it? Mm. That was a catalyst for like going, what can we do differently? Yeah, 100%. We were, um, you know, it was pretty tough. I think we were going through a tough time was... You know, selling our cattle and and cows cows bloody dying from the drought. And, you know, we we're trying to we we're spending every cent that we had to feed them, um, but it just wasn't enough at that stage. So you know, we we're offloading our cows, um, and I think you know probably it was a steep learning curve going straight into those tough times um, straight after you bought your property. Like you know, I'd had a smaller place before and just traded a few steers and and you know I never really had a lot of breeding cows of my own. My family was breeders when I grew up on, but you know I, I wasn't in control of the decision making at that point. I was just a kid, so um, steep learning curve. Um, yeah, and, and just really, like, you know, we're just wondering what the hell we're, we're going to do different. We enrolled ourselves in a few, you know, training programs and business coaching things to try and help us out and make better decisions about what we were doing on our farm at that point. So, you know, we got involved with a few, um, you know, we went to a few seminars and different things like that and, and diff- just tried to educate ourselves a bit more on how we can do a better job on and and make our farm a business, not just a hobby, I guess. Like, we were, I think we were still looking at it as more of, oh, yeah, this is nice, it's a lifestyle, whatever else, but we needed to um, return, you know, return us really good numbers off of the farm. And, you know, you know, I was in charge of a pretty big business in the mines, but at the end of the day, it wasn't my money. Like, it was somebody else's money. It was investors money or, or big companies money and I felt at ease with that but at home it was your own money that you were dealing with every day and it was um, you know whether you're, whether or not you were going to be able to stay and survive on that property it all depended on it fell on my shoulders really and I felt really a fair bit of pressure from that. 
And in 20, what did we work out before, 2018? Yep. You guys, um, Adam Gibson, um, who I've interviewed for the podcast, and I and a few others organised a basically a pitch event at the farm at Byron Bay, and I think it was, I'm thinking it was like late 2018. I think it, it was like been early 2019, because we started... It would have been late 2018. I don't late 20, I'm thinking like September, October, I'm thinking, was yep. in my mind. And then and you got – I could be wrong, though. Um, and then you got – so that's where I met you guys. And you – and so the whole idea of the pitch event was that people with an idea turn up and pitch it. You know, for, I think it was like two or three minutes. There might have been a bit of tuition. I think we had some people there to kind of step you through what's a good pitch look like and yada, yada. And then in the afternoons, it might have been, well, who wants to come up and do a pitch? Yeah. And you guys – did a pitch yeah, yeah. for your idea. Um, we had an idea, I think it might have been just before that. Uh, we're at the YBPF, so the Young Beef Producers Forum in Roma, and we're like, we're really struggling financially, but we'd spent, you know, we'd paid some money to go and go to an event and try and learn some things because we wanted to educate ourselves a bit more. And we went to the YBPF and Bianca, were there, Bianca and I were there for a couple of days and, you know, we come up with a name for our cow at that point. So I think that might have been like August or, you know, July, mm-hmm. August in 2018. We come up with a name of what we wanted to do and then the idea behind it as well. And then I think we run into you. You know, we come to that event at the farm and we wanted to pitch our idea because there was investors there and we thought, oh, we're going to need all this money to get our cow off of the ground and stuff like that. So, and, it, you know, we met some good people there as well and opened our mind up to a few things. So, yeah. And your pitch was essentially what you've done now. Yep. Yeah, it was yeah. the same. We were pitching the same business idea, but we didn't really know. Have we even that. told everyone what you're doing yet? Maybe we better tell them. What, 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 <laughs> given, the, yeah. given the pitch, the pitch was um, pretty much, which has turned into. The pitch was at that point like a Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what the pitch was. So I guess the our cow and what it is, is we're an online paddock to plate meat company. We work with at now, you know, hundreds of farmers all across Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, and we deliver grass-fed, organic and free-range meat all, all across the country, delivered to your door. So it all comes cryovacked, it's portioned, it's um, refrigerated, and people, it just gives people an opportunity to be able to support farmers through their food choices. How far south? You, you said Victoria. So you've got farmers in Victoria? Yep. So they, are they sending their animals up here? How's uh, that work? No, no, you've got a processing. We, we process down in Victoria. As well? Yeah. So you've got here a casino? Oh, no, we've got our – we process down there at an abattoir and we freight bodies back up to our facility here. Yeah, okay, so all, all the breaking down happens here, but yeah, you've got – you've get your breakdown. Yeah, yeah, right. How many other – so Victoria and where else? Queensland and New South Wales as well yeah, at this right. point. But we're looking to go Australia-wide soon, so – Get some farmers in WA. We deliver Australia-wide. So people in Tassie, WA, the Territory, you know, all across the eastern seaboard can all get access to our meat. So we want to bring some more farmers. You know, we get... We probably have 20 farmers a day that contact us about how they can be a part of our cow, but it's just the chicken or the egg scenario. We need the customers first, and then we bring on the farmers to, to supply the demand. And so, yeah, then that's the, that's the thing that is I bang on about, and it's like you need a demand. No point, you know, producing something and going, oh, I hope someone's going to buy it. You yeah. know, if there's a demand economy, essentially, in you know, a demand-based business, then you've got, you know, well, we know we can sell it. Yeah. Now, now we'll go go look for it. You're growing, obviously. Like there's there's a, like given 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 
So just to put it in the context, so I saw these guys in, I'm just going to say September 2018 because I think that's roughly when it was. Yeah. And then um, you had this idea. Um, did you do any sort of pitch stuff from that? Did you do any, like I think Adam sort of set up a bit of a, um, you know, some pitch kind of courses uh, or workshops. Well, we met a couple of guys that had some money and we tried to pitch to them, but, um, you know, no one was really interested in that point. We were just two yobos that wanted to try and start a meat company. Do you think they, they regret not? <laughs> uh, actually, actually, run into one of the guys. I offered him thirty um, percent of the business at that point for one hundred fifty thousand. I ran into him about uh, three weeks ago, and he, he told me that he wished he wished he give me that one hundred fifty grand now. So yeah, it's pretty rewarding to see. But at that point, we um, weren't ready for it. Yeah, we, we weren't. No, no. And so. That was then, and so how many, let's work it out, it's nearly September now, so that's four years ago, hang on, tonight I didn't do anything, that's four years ago. Yep. And now, and I've just, we got here, I got here this morning, and we're in casino, and your processing facility, and you have got, um, how many staff out there? Uh, I think there's about 46 now. 46 staff? Yep. So we went out to the, I guess, the boning room, and the, where the crowbacking, and the, oh, what's going on here? It's full! Oh, you bloody thing, not now. Manage. Oh, you poor thing. So it's telling me I'm full. I just removed some videos off that. Sorry, everyone listeners. You're going to have to put up with me whinging a mind. Have you got a phone? I do. I'll go grab it. Can you mind? If you do mind, and then if we can continue on yours. It's on the charge. Awesome. And then we'll just have to work out how we do that. I'll just plug that into there. Sorry, everyone. We've just my phone. I, I deleted about two hours worth of video off it before for my last two videos. And um, now, let's see if it's going to, it should do, just plug straight into that. I don't think you need any, um, let's just do a little dummy one. Hang on, let's let get the sound. Yeah, I'll just make sure that the volume's working. Sound, yeah. Yeah, that's working. Yeah. Back to there, back to there, set you up on that. Look at that, seamless, seamless transition to a much better phone that has everything we need on it. Okay, start again. So, are we on? We're on now. So those who are on the YouTube, you'll notice there's a bit of a a gap there. We just had to change. Because my phone died. Swap out the technology. Oh, I can't believe that. I sat here and got rid of a couple of hours worth of stuff on there. Anyway. Bloody thing. Anyway, moving on. So, um, well, good, good, seamless transition. Forty um, something staff. Uh, where, where else do we get to? Yeah. So, I think I was being on. Um, so, we have um, went to the boning room. You've got the, you've got the packing room. The orders come in. You've got all those staff and. Um, how like what's your, what, can you tell us what the, the what your throughput is like you know, bodies a day or you, you know, that yeah. you can tell us? Uh, we're processing about twenty five ton a week at the moment, so that's our rough sort of numbers. And that's pork, um, chicken? No, not chicken. Is it chicken? Yep. yep. Pork, chicken, lamb, and beef. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And you've got um, so that's a lot. Yeah. And you're going all over the country. Yep. Yep. And you're also. Um, uh, you're also um, oh, God, oh, you've got how many how many suppliers roughly? Because you're, you're as you were saying, Bianca, in what your skill is is actually engaging the farmers and telling helping to tell the stories because it's all traceable, yeah. Yeah, so all of our product is traceable, traceable back to the farmer, and you know we really pride ourselves on 
um, you know, someone sitting down in Melbourne or Sydney and for dinner with their steak or their pork cutlet or whatever, they know the farmer's name or where that's coming from and we want to tell those stories. So we work with about 150 different farmers um, now as well. So, you know, there's... It's, uh, it's fun. Like the, I've learned so much off of all the farmers that we get to see. It's been the best apprenticeship to go around and, and just see what they're doing on their farms and really bring it back and implement it on my own farm. You know, get to see the best of all, the best of the best from different farmers that are doing such great things. Have you been to most of the farms? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, go to, we go to all of them. That's part of the, yeah. the criteria, yeah. kind of thing. We go and check out everybody and make sure meet everybody, you know, make sure that they align with our values and what we're up to and um, you know, we, we obviously want to check out the livestock as well because we want the best genetics, the best animals that we can coming through our program, and uh, that you know that's why we want to meet all of our farmers and bring them, make them, make them feel that that they're a part of something other than just uh, selling, you know, selling to whoever, you know. That's you go, Bianca. No, I, was, that. I was just going to say it's not very often as a farmer that you know where your livestock end up. You know, you you sell to the sale yards or you sell to a feedlot or what have you, and that's sort of the end of it. Once it leaves your property, you have no idea. But as a farmer with our cow, you know that there's a family somewhere in Australia that's sitting down and actually enjoying something that you've produced. And we've built a really amazing community of our customers and our farmers that get to share in that. You know, like our customers reach out to our farmers and thank them for the meal that they're eating tonight and through social media and our, our Facebook groups and whatnot, it's building a really unique community like customers know their farmers and vice versa so that because i know on your packaging um i'm just writing some notes here on your packaging it says oh you know so and so whatever farm in Varel, um they can then look on your website and sort of track the track the store there's a link to somewhere and they can kind of go well we let's have a look at where this meat's from yeah, definitely. That's that's what it's all about is mm-hmm. us doing some content, some videos about their farm and their story as well. So, um, And every packet of steak or meat that goes out of the facility has got the farmer's name, exactly where it comes from, the breed, you know, and the, you know, a little bit about them as well. There's a QR code on there. Mm-hmm. They link to the QR code. There's a bit more of a video on our website about those farmers. So it's, it's really good. Um, what... Uh, I'm going to get to oh no breeding because as I sort of touched on before that you know what is a lovely thing that I now understand is that with the relationships you're building and kind of the the throughput through here and the feedback you're getting you're able to then kind of help those producers those breeders kind of essentially produce what you want yeah that's right and it was um as the first humbling experience for me to think that, you know, these people, these farmers that have uh, entrusted us with their livelihood are now breeding animals specifically for our program. It's um, their bull selections, their cow frame scores, you know, everything that they're doing is uh, they don't even look at the markets now. They, they basically, you know, they, they know what they're going to get for their animals when they hit the ground, their calves, their pigs, their lambs, you know, all that sort of stuff before they before they even have to go into a market and, and they know what decisions they make in the breeding cycle, I guess. So uh, it's pretty humbling to think that, you know, people are making those decisions based on the market that we've created. 
And I would add to that, like just seeing so many of our farmers expand their operation because they know that they have a market with us. Like, you know, so many of our beef producers have gone out on big limbs to increase their cow herds and be leasing more properties and buying more country so that they can run more cows. For us, the same with a lot of our lamb producers, you know, that they're thinking outside the box so that they can continue to supply us because they're seeing how quickly we're growing and the volume of livestock we're now taking and they don't want to miss out you know like they they've the even the banks are giving them more of an opportunity because we're guaranteeing a price for them to go to that's again i mean i guess that's a wonderful thing and it occurred to me before too in not a dissimilar way like what you've done in creating your business you're supporting so many other businesses like i said to you guys you know we walked around the bone room there and there's i don't know there's a dozen more people in there and i just just occurred to me what would these people be doing if they weren't working for our cow. Yeah. You know, they might be in another abattoir. They might be, I don't know, working any other jobs. Well, hopefully. But, I mean, what you've done in the, you know, from all the way through, it's, it's, it's a big supply chain, isn't it? You've got people making decisions on farms in Victoria. Um, there's obviously logistics in between. There's the buyers and the sellers. And then there's kind of the the, the people that in your in your business here now being supported by that throughput and then there's yourselves and then I think it's just I mean the more I kind of get back you know back on the page with it because I mean I guess what I'm not shocked at but what I'm what's really wonderful is that I saw you back then as we all like you know give us a follow on Facebook <laughs> and then the the impact that you're having on so many different lives and that's just a lie I'm just talking about the lives in your business then there's all the ones who actually get to eat the meat mm. and then google someone or get back to your web website and then suss out those things looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey Come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash the kitchen table. And if you're not totally satisfied with the value of your membership and wish to cancel it within the first two months, we will give you a full 100% refund, no questions asked. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Do you know of um, or are relationships building between your eaters, you know, someone in somewhere in Tassie or Victoria or somewhere who's eating... Um, meat, one of the meats you guys are selling and then actually going to those farms? Is that creating a like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's coming from Bob's place. He's up at Mudgee. Um, and then Bob's got a farm stay. And are they, you know, is that kind of stuff happening? Yeah, 100%. Like quite a few of our farmers do have farm stays and it was something that they implemented during the drought. They put, you know, farm stays on their properties and we've had people that have, you know, booked accommodation on those farms and then they're able to actually see where their lamb's coming from on that farm and same with the beef like we've got places around casino that have got farm stays people are traveling here i've had customers say they've booked their honeymoons or booked their baby moons on you know some of our farmers places it's just like yeah unbelievable yeah and i think um you know the that connection between the farmer and and the customer 
like Bianca said, they, they reach out over social media and might be onto that farmer's page or, or, you know, their website or, you know, their Instagram or their Facebook page and they're thanking them for their meal that they've produced. So at the end of the day, it's, it's not just about us. It's There's about so many other people that's involved in it now. All of our staff, our farmers, you know, we have investors now in our business as well. So um, we feel pretty humbled to be able to help so many people on the journey that we are on. Uh, have, you, have any marriages taken place? Any children born because of our cow? Do you <laughs> oh, know probably. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me, you're talking about investors. You did a crowdfunding um, uh, what do you call it? Raise. raise, I guess, yes, um, a few months ago now, and you raised a lot of money. Yeah, we raised um, $2.6 million through our, mainly our farmers and our customers. So, you know, we had so many farmers that were keen to see the business grow because it ultimately grows their business and then we had so many customers that just wanted to be a part of something and make a change in the food industry I guess like it is uh, you know not coming from the meat industry Bianca and I were really shocked at some of the things that goes on and uh, we, you know we wanted to make a change in this industry and give that connection between the customer and the farmer and, and you know just yeah, I guess make that connection, didn't we? So, and so many people have just believed in what our vision, I guess. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty humbling. Hmm. And I think, like I said, bridging the connection between customers and farmers. Like one thing that we did see at the start when we were going through the drought, we've seen how much money gets donated during a time of crisis, like the bushfires, the droughts, the floods. People just want to help. They want to donate. They want to do whatever they can. But rather than feeling like, you know, they have to donate to aid, we've given people an opportunity to support farmers and to make a change in the food industry just simply by choosing where they buy their meat from. So it's just it's going directly to the source. It's giving people an opportunity. And like, like Dave said, an opportunity to, for them to feel like they're making a, a contribution to the future of food and farming and being a part of a community. And I think... Um you know, we pay our farmers to be sustainable. We want to pay them a fair price because it takes a lot of effort. You know, we're coming out of a winter that's been the wettest and coldest for a long time. Very hard to produce a grass-fed animal out of a paddock compared to jamming it in a feedlot and putting on grain for 100 days. Like, nothing against that industry. That industry is always going to be there, but it's, it takes a lot more effort and energy to produce an animal off a grass-fed system, you know, to be able to look after your land. We want to pay our farmers better money for doing that. That. And we, because it, it takes more, it takes more effort, you know. And our our far, and our followers and our customers know that they're contributing to sustainability in our industry. With your background, Dave, you mentioned you know you saw your family farms, um, you know, in the nineties that had to sell up. I mean, and you said that that I can't remember the word you said hurt you or really impacted you. I mean, is that is that that giving you a particular perspective on you know? I guess your suppliers, your producers, and and what, what, what the positions they're in, and also you, you when you bought your farm, you said you know you were buying animals with someone else's money and then having to sell them for less and still pay the interest. Yeah. Has that kind of created a um, a wariness or a, or a, or a confidence of of kind of what you need to do for the, for your your producers and your farmers? Yeah, I never really thought about it at the start when we first started the business, but. You know, the more that I've dug into it, I think subconsciously it probably did have a big impact on me when I was a kid, going through that time with, the, you know, our family farms having to be sold up through the drought and then just, getting, you know, going on to our own farm and then having the exact same situation as well. I thought that 
you know, I was like 20 years older, but I kind of thought that, you know, I was in the same position as when I was when I was a kid. You didn't really know where you were going to end up or what was going to happen. So, um, and it probably it probably has had a big impact, I think, subconsciously to make a, a decision to um, help so many people and have a vision like that. With the crowdfunding, um, what was the... Um the not the promise is not the right word, but what was the kind of the the intention for the funds raised that you said, look, we need X amount because we're going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, so it was it, like, oh, I'm just going to go to the Caribbean for two weeks. We need, <laughs> we need a break. Yeah, no, that would be nice, but we didn't get that. We had to work three times as hard. I think um, just the the vision of getting more customers and more subscribers, getting in front of more people and, and telling the farmers' stories is, is what we needed cash for because ultimately, you know, media costs money. You need to, you need to be advertising. You need to, you know, it's a, there's a lot of what, big supermarkets that are selling products and things like that. I guess it is, you know, it's, a, it's been an industry that's been around for a long time, um, but we, we want to promote what we're doing and doing something different. So it costs money to get in front of people in the marketing um, but we've explained our vision to our, our our investors, and they really believe in what we're doing. And they've put put their money where their mouth is, I guess. Um, let's get to so. Well, I guess while on that marketing, I mean your your website's simple and it's really effective. And I love it. You know, good 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 graphics, and it's and it's easy to navigate. Um, obviously, easy to buy stuff. You've got your mission, your vision, and your history, which is um, which is great. Who have you had? Um, how did you sort of? You're not. You're both. Neither of you are marketers. No. So you've had good people on your team. Let's talk about that. Like, you know, how, how did you get to? We sort of jumped around a bit, but you know, 2018. Here's a pitch. Um, 2019, you, you you did your first you did your first um, uh, box beef kind of a delivery and yep. that sort of thing. Let's get back to that point, and that was that was local. Yeah. So the first one, um, Dave and I did. We processed the steer off our farm. We thought it was going to be all good. We found a butcher shop to do a private kill for us. You basically. did. Oh, okay. Yes. We, yep. The butcher shop cut it all up, and we borrowed a um, cold room trailer, and we drove basically from the Sunshine Coast all the way down to Port Macquarie, and pretty sure that first delivery was just like our friends and family and people that felt sorry for us. Oh, so really? They, you know, Jane, they, these two mad people. I'm just trying to get Dave away from that bloody mic. Yeah, come over here. But, come yeah. over a bit. Oh, now you're out of it. No, that's right. I'll, I'll, I'll cuddle up here. It's fine. So, um, yeah, we, we drove around. We sold our first delivery, um, and that's basically how it first started. But, you know, we're not marketers, but um, I think probably one thing that we did really well was we just sold, a, we just told a story, and we just were genuine, vulnerable people on social media, and I think people were just looking for some a connection, and that's what we we did. We wanted to be um, transparent in the agricultural industry and show people what happens day to day on a farm. And that's basically how it started was just me consistently jamming a camera in Dave's face and hoping that he wouldn't swear too much. <laughs> did he? Do you have to get the beat button out a lot? No, we didn't worry about that. I think the swearing just comes naturally. <laughs> so, so you, so the first one sold that processed. Yep. And then, you know, did you get look at each other and go, that was fun or that was crap or what you know, were there times when you went, Oh, that's all too hard. Or no, did we, we make any money? We had the, we had the, um, the funnest time of our life, really. I think just going from casino 
know, to, into Brisbane, you know, in one-lane streets trying to reverse a cold room trail around in Fortitude Valley. And, Your Toyota yeah, doesn't and, have the and, best turning circle. And a Land Cruiser Ute with a generator on the back of it. Like, it was good fun and we stayed at a few pubs and it was just a, a, like a bonding experience for, for us and our Nora. customers as well. Like, so many of those people that we delivered to on that first delivery are still customers of ours now. You know, we built relationships with those people and that first delivery was good and then we just seen the demand skyrocket and you know we hadn't planned for that we had one steer on our farm so i'm pretty sure it was around primex where we seen you there again Mm. primex we were able to really connect with a lot of other farmers in the area and kind of pitch to them what our idea was and try and get them on board and you know sell to them to say you know this is what we want to do some people thought we were crazy and some others said it'll never work but we actually met quite a few farmers on that day and throughout that experience and you know they still supply us to today don't they yeah and bianca had some like controversial banners done up we had like banners that were like are you sick of paying agents fees like come and sell to us you know and all the agents walked around and they, us but they all got steak burgers from us because uh, <laughs> because adam actually put on a, um, a, a pitch day on that one as well yeah, yeah. That, that that very one i went to and i think it was a judge or something but you guys are obviously too too busy on the barbecue on the till to be actually yeah, actually doing we ended doing up that. selling like ten thousand steak burgers that weekend <laughs> but that, so that was only a few months after you did your first box run up at yeah, the, the yeah. thing. And I've got to say, you look much more professional than you clearly were. Like, like <laughs> you had not a, I mean, that was, you had a big tent. I remember it wasn't like a little cabana the size of this room. It was a reasonable size tent. You had a few buddies there. You know, you looked professional. You had your green shirts on. You were like, I know Dave was like, rah, you know, it was lots talking of shit. Talking shit. No, no, it was good. No, lots of volume. But it was great. It was, like, it was a really fun experience. And I think, um, uh, that, you know, and again, it's only a couple of months after you did your first box run, so you're obviously quite, you know, progressive and going, what can we do next? We'll go to that place and we'll sell some meat there. Then then what happened? Was that was that a bit of a, a new chapter? Was it a new opportunity? Or w- w- when when was the next kind of big, big, holy shit, I think we're onto something here? Uh, for me, I think it was just growing, like, straight away, just having to connect with other farmers straight away and then, uh, basically, it just kept going. But there wasn't probably any one point until when COVID hit, I guess, for the 2020. Like, that was, you know, we we're about a year in or not quite a year into the business. We'd leased a butcher shop. Yeah, yeah. I think we were just outgrowing everything. You know, we were processing our bodies at another butcher shop. And then he said, look, I can't do this no more. This is getting too busy for us. Too many. Yeah. And then that was only like two a week at that point. And it was just beef at that yeah, stage. just beef. And he couldn't do his own work and all of our stuff as well because we'd go in and we'd cut up two bodies, we'd pack, we'd make snags, we'd do the whole lot in one day. And if you've ever cut up a body of beef on a farm and it's a big day yeah. and we were doing two in a day just me and Bianca and um, a butcher so it was a very and, and then we'd have to pack it into a box pack orders and then get it onto a truck to get refrigerated at that point as well because we wanted it more we, we knew that we couldn't scale up doing it all ourselves and doing deliveries all of ourselves as much as we love delivering to customers and we still you know go and see customers now but we couldn't deliver it all ourselves at that point yeah. One thing that we did, we sort of realised that we were outgrowing the little butcher shop, the butcher shops that we were using. We just rang around all the butcher shops basically on the north coast and asked if anyone wanted to sell their butcher shop. And they're like, what do you mean? You're just cold calling me out of the blue asking if I want to sell my shop. Who are you? We, we ended up finding a shop that was vacant that hadn't been opened and we were lucky enough to go in there and to start. Like we had a really good start in that shop. And Where was that? It was at Korokai. 
Yeah, so right. just down the road from here, actually just got completely flooded in the floods that came through mm-hmm. in fe- January, February. So that butcher shop, the water was over the ceiling. So it's just, yeah. Well, so were you in there? It was, were you using that one when the floods came through? No, no you, you'd been and done. We, we were out of there probably, what, eight months, ten months we'd been out. So, so you found, you obviously undone butchers yourself. So you went, right, we need a butcher to man this butcher shop and do the, do the were you doing other butchery as well, like selling as a butcher shop or just your stuff? No, we, we It was more of a facility. To, it was just a facility. We didn't open to the public. We had one butcher in there and we were stressing because we thought we employed him, but we only really had like one and a half days work work a week and we yeah. were like what are we going to do with this bloke for the rest of the time it ended up being like a seven day a week job for like 12 hours a day because it grew it just grew yeah. so quickly in that in that little shop and it probably wasn't too long after that i guess when we started to see covid in march 2020 yeah we were, yeah a few months in that shop before covid hit and then what did covid mean for you um it meant no sleep and food shortages. Uh, it meant that we started work at one thirty in the morning and finished at 9 o'clock at night every night and we had people, we thought we were going to have to turn our website off. Like Because everyone was just going, I need meat. Everyone was We going, need it uh, delivered. You know, we had, there was one guy in particular that ordered $15,000 worth of meat in one go. And People did, were buying two cows. Like it wasn't just a couple of steaks. Like they were ordering two whole bodies because they just, they thought the world was going to end. At what point did you – so you had your own cattle, you, your first one was yours, and you know, at what point did you go – I know it was always the intention, but from when you did that first delivery around Brisbane to the first other another farmer, well, what period of time was that? Like when did you like run out of your own and basically go, yeah, shit? Yeah, straight away. It was on the second delivery, I think. we You went, oh, I need more. Oh, shit, we're out. Like, so we so it went from one body to what? Six bodies was the six. next. Because everyone went, that was good. We'll yeah. get more. You had yeah. a web, did you have a website by that stage? Um, yeah, we did. It was just basically a blog post. Um, you know, ring, ring, ring Bianca. Ring on, Bianca yeah. on this number. We'll send you an invoice. Here's roughly what the weights are going to be, and we'll, you know, Work invoice you the rest when we turn up with the weights. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's how it started. And we we're both we we're working at um, the neighbour's property. Like we're close. We're, there's a forty-four thousand acre property next door to us, and we we're working on their property at that stage to try and get some income in after the drought. Bianca was mowing lawns, and that was where the first order ever came in. Mm. Um, well, she was mowing the lawns next door, and I was a <laughs> boiler maker fixing all the irrigators and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, just went from one to six bodies and then just kept going from there straight after. So every month it just kept getting busier and busier. So I was on the on the road talking to farmers and, you know, I guess that's relationship building. We literally, good. this is not joking, we would drive down the road and they would see a nice paddock of cows and he'd pull into the house and go, oh, hey, what, what's doing, what are you doing with them cattle? You, <laughs> you want to sell us a few? And they're like, whoa, who the bloody hell are you? And, like, that's how we started. We just would find cows on the side of the road that were really looked nice. looked like a nice paddock. They, yeah. you know, was, their land looked good. They looked like they'd been looking after their country and stuff like that. We'd go in, say good day, introduce ourselves. I don't know, I'm just... I'm, Go in and talk shit and drink that cup of tea and eat scones for a while. And <laughs> I hope that they sell us cows. It was really. Um... You see, get any cows? No, but I are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that didn't matter. Crazy. If you get any cows? Yeah. <laughs> how? How? What was? What then became? Um, your. I mean, you. 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 You're, you're now dealing with many, many farmers all over the country, um, and. 
you applying to them some sort of criteria like for supplying you? Yeah, we definitely have specs now. We did it at the start. We, we had an idea. Good know, scones were the only good criteria. Good and um, good people, yeah. I guess, were the criteria. But, um, you know, we've got a, a specification for all of our all of our proteins now. So beef, pork, lamb, our chicken, it's all, it has to be in specification, I guess. So um, Land, are we talking practice specification? You're saying, like, yeah, you've got to be doing this, you've got to yep. be nice people. What, yep. what, what are some of those kind of specs? Yeah, so I guess the um, regenerative type farming, we, we're not chasing people with uh, labels per se, like a certification, but we want to know that if the camera isn't there or if we're not there looking at them and the camera's not on them, that they're doing the right thing on their property. The animal welfare is top of the standard, you know, like um, we just go and see and observe what they're up to and if they meet our specifications, they've obviously got specs to still hit in the carcass and the weights and all that sort of stuff on their animals, but um, just who who they are as people and what they're up to on their properties because they never get to like Bianca said they never get to tell their story that often if they're selling their cattle to a sale yard there's no differentiation to you know pen A to pen B there's just an agent running across the top of them and they're selling um, you know it's a, it's a commodity really and we want to differentiate that and in, in each people like, if their individual stories so and I think like we don't chase certifications we're not chasing an organic certification or we're not you know anything like that it's more about what they do on a day-to-day basis on their farm and like Dave said is it something that we can be proud of that we can tell their story and know that they're doing everything that they possibly can to future-proof the future generations and their kids and grandkids that come onto the farm like and so many of our farmers if we ask them are you regenerative or are you biodynamic they would have no idea what you're talking about they seriously wouldn't know but you know we have one farmer he's planted a hundred thousand trees on his farm in the last 12 months but if I said are you regenerative he'd say what's that you know they don't they're just doing the best things that they think in their heart for their for their property for their farm yeah. to to you know to make sure that it's a good farm for the future like we got another guy that the soil the microbes that he puts out on his farm and things like that he he can't read or write you know he doesn't know anything about that but he there's something that just told him that what he needed to do on his own farm mm. um he, he said it's like Energy. It was an energy, and he, he he talks about the love and the energy that the love that you put into your land, I guess. And if, if I would have heard this five or ten years ago, I thought it would have been all bullshit, mate. But the results that these people get out of their properties is it's unbelievable. Like, you know, I've been up to his farm so many times, and you look down the fence line at his property compared to the neighbouring property, and it, the the kikuyu grass just stops at the fence. Like it doesn't go. It's the exact same soil on either side of the land. It's but, like deep, rich compost, yes. and then dust. Yeah, mm. just straight down the fence line. It's unbelievable. And I, it's a good point. I think it's. it's I mean, there's labelling of practices and putting them in a, in a sort of boxes or under you know different umbrellas. But the more important thing is. Um, that uh, they're doing it yeah. and the results are good. You know, you can see it in the paddock, you can see it in the personalities, you can see it on the plate, yep. you know, the the, the the eating quality of these things. And that's more important, I think, than, than the regenerative ag club, you know, and that kind of thing. And that's what I'm also hearing from, um, and as I can now say, the, the, the sponsors of our our season, season six is Highland Beef, who I know you've had a little bit to do with in the past, and it's not dissimilar. You know, they've got farmers who are doing amazing jobs, beautiful properties, producing wonderful beef, grass-fed beef, 
and you say the word regenerative and they either say, I don't know what you're talking about, or no, I'm not. Yeah. Because, you know, for whatever reason, which is absolutely fine, but when I understand more about them and that cohort of farmers, it's not, they're probably not dissimilar to the guys you have on your team because, yeah. you know, they're doing good things and the, and the proof of that is observed in the paddock, you know, and, and also the, the quality of the products that they're, 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 they're producing, you know, yeah. which you are seeing firsthand as they do too in, in, their, in the Highland Beef sort of system too. Yeah, and I think, like, we've, we got asked that question years ago and we didn't, I didn't know what those terms were at that point. Like, I was sort of a bit naive to it. Um, but, you know, people were asking us what sort of farmers we were and I was like, oh, I'm just a beef farmer, you know, but when they start asking what sort of things that you do on your property, you're fencing your creeks off, you know, you're planting your trees, you're fencing in some of your native vegetation off so that you can regenerate the, the land. Like th- those are the things that they don't even think about. They don't think of it as a label. They, they're just doing it because it's what's best for their country and what's best for their next generation that are coming onto the farm. And I think what's best for their animals as well. Like at the end of the day, they need to produce an animal that's heavy, that's got good fat coverage, that's got good Good eating quality so we continue to go back and buy livestock from them but also so that they're you know they're getting good money for it too like it's in their best interest to be looking after their land so they can continue to put the weight and the fat coverage on their animals so in turn they get better money for it so it's really in their financial interest as well to look after their land so they can continue to put good fat good weight and and make good money out of it. because at the end of the day you know yes it's a lifestyle but they still need to be sustainable and have a good income on their farm what you could have um, had your same business model, right, and been sourcing from other from farmers who are not necessarily regenerative or sustainable or naturally farming. I mean, you could have gone and done that. You could have, you know, I, I suspect you probably could have got just as much meat and the throughput and the whole thing, and the stories would have been slightly different, maybe not as compelling. But what, what, at what point did you go, no, 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 we need to be sourcing from people that are doing it this in this particular way or in these sort of types of farming? You know, and why, when and why? Like yeah. when, when did it become like a, nah, we just have to do the, these guys? I think it's our pers- personal ethics and our morals as well. Charlie, I think, you know, we want to leave our land in a better way than what we found it. So, you know, the farmers that we work with align with our personal values and our integrity and our business as well. We want to have that strong. Like there's, there's been numerous crossroads in the business where you could have went left or you could have went right, but right didn't feel so well or left didn't feel so well at that point and it didn't sit right within your gut. So, you know, that, those are the decisions. It made it a lot harder to go down road A than road B, but you made that choice anyway and I think that's – you know, it would have been so much easier to just go, right, oh, well, I'm going to get 100 bodies out of the feedlot every week and I'm going to pay X amount of money for it, I'm going to put it up for this price and sell it for that. Like, it's still now, the sourcing, the, you know, we've had so many people that tell us that we couldn't control this whole supply chain. There's, you know, people from high up and governing bodies have told us that we weren't going to be able to do this and control this whole supply chain in a, in a way that we have, but... I think the determination of it and the ethics that you have personally within yourself have made the decision and, and kept the business going to how it is now. I would say the um, the customer demand as well. Like we 
we see customers want a grass-fed product. They don't want to see animals in a feedlot. They don't want to know that the animals are being mistreated. Not that that does occur in a feedlot, but it's just a different vision. You know, Mm. cattle in a paddock is much nicer to think and feel compared to them being in a feedlot. I understand feedlots are always going to be there in the necessity part of the industry, but, you know, if people can choose where they want their food to come from, they will always choose that. So there was a much stronger demand for a free-range organic and grass-fed product. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's a great thing that, that people are starting to identify that their food buying choices actually have such a big impact, you know, and, and I guess there's the environmental impact or, you know, I, I feel better or I, I, you know, sincerely feel better about buying that steak from that person, from you guys, because you know that it's, the money's going back to that farm and that farm is doing wonderful environmental things, you know, yeah. that's one of it, I'm just sort of putting things in baskets here. I think the other thing that's clear is to the eaters is it's it's, it's also a health thing too, you know. And I'm not saying, you know, grass-fed's better than, it's arguable, you know, better than feedlot. But in terms of the ethics, because there's, a, you know, the health of the animal, the health of the people eating it, and I think it's a lovely, you know, story, but it's just more, it's you know, based in fact around a grass-fed beef, and I know you're doing lamb and, and, and chicken uh, and pork as well, and they're naturally raised and so on, is better for you than than the, the many alternatives. You know, yeah. talking about alternatives, there's a lot of alternatives to meat on the mm-hmm. on the shelves as well. And the interesting thing I'm seeing and reading is there's there's a lot on the shelves because for, for, for a reason. One is the investors getting behind it all, and two, there's a whole lot of propaganda behind it. But the interesting thing is there's still a lot on the shelves because I don't think many people are buying the shit. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like, you go to a yeah. thing and go, there's all of the, 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 the Frankenstein food and it's still there. Mm. And it's probably going to sit there for two months because it probably can because it's full of preservatives yeah. versus, you know, the, dare I say, um, more emptier shelves of the meat because that's where people, thank God, actually had the sensibility to go, well, I can choose to support farmers directly or indirectly and eat good food or I can, I can get caught up in all the bullshit mm. about food that is produced in a lab. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where we see... Dave, I want you to speak your mind here, mate. This is an opportunity. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to put a fire under you, but... No, well, uh, like, oh, mate, at the end of the day, people are entitled to their own choice. choice. Like, at the end choice. of the day, that's, that's completely up to them. But I think um, we are seeing that a lot more people are leaning to more towards a greener protein than to a lab-grown product. you only got to look at the ingredients of some of these... Um, some of the things that are being produced and what what sort of health implications is that going to have on somebody's body or you know the the environmental implications of of those produce like, like those foods that are being produced compared to a natural you know an animal grazing in a paddock like we i guess the whole business idea have just come from what we think what we would like i guess you know you see a cow walking up a paddock in a mob of grass with a bit of bush behind it they can go in and you know rub themselves on a couple of trees or you know like do get under some shade and wallow in a creek or a dam when it's hot or something like that like that's something that I want my animals to live in that's I feel that what our customers want to see as well compared to you know something being grown in a in a, um, in a lab so mm-hmm. I don't know I, I won't get too wound up but that's <laughs> I just feel pretty passionate about it and I think that um, you know people are making greener protein choices rather than uh, whatever that other stuff is. I think there's um, th- that's a good, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in that 
that they think, because they've been told, that the processed food, the frankenfood, the fake meat is better for the environment. We won't need to go there with all the science behind that, that 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 dispels a lot of that, but I think it's and it's not a new thing. Like you know, the the propaganda, dare I say, and the kind of the advocacy around particular foods um, is not a new thing. You know, the whole fat versus sugar thing. You know, it's just when 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 the when the sugar industry and the fat industry went up against each other, the sugar industry had more money and they made more propaganda and made fats bad. Yeah. Let's take all the fat out of milk and. Oh, hang on, that means all the flavour's gone. We have to put some sugar back in, which supports the sugar industry. Mm. Um, and then that food is horrendously bad for you, you know. So it's not a new thing, but it's just interesting the course that it's sort of taken. And, and I think the, the agendas behind it's, you know, people supporting it and saying, no, oh, if you eat this fake food, there's going to be less cows on the planet. We don't need it. We can stop eating cows, and that's going to save the planet because there's not going to be as many cows farting. Like that, to me, is, is some basic science around there. People just don't kind of bother to look into. Well, there's, there's a lot of a there's a big agenda going behind that as well. Like these these companies uh, have a lot of money that are getting pumped into them, and they've got their own agendas. At the end of the day, of course, we've got our own agenda right now. We're trying to promote grass fed, free range, and organic livestock, I guess. But they have a, a part of the environmental footprint in the system. Them that you know they they sequester that carbon into the ground when they're working the land when they're being rotated in, in paddocks and things like that so it's not I don't know how you could have a um, you know a carbon neutral uh, lab grown whatever that stuff is mm-hmm. Benko have you got anything else to say on that point? <laughs> yeah well, I think it's it's like the fat issue that you just brought up you know the fat and the sugar and now it's taken its turn where everyone's realising that fat is actually good for you and they're trying to incorporate more things like avocado and oils and things into their diet because they're actually really realising that fat is good and I feel like the the meat will come around as well like everyone thinks that cows are bad for the environment eventually it'll come back around and everyone will realize that cows aren't so bad maybe we shouldn't have a look at some transport issues or the big cities or things like that like you know we just came back from city the other day and i failed to understand how my farm and our farmers are doing such horrible things for the environment my you know my my grass is green the creeks are full there's mountains behind me and in sydney it was just pollution and rubbish and litter and like it was I just can't understand how we're, we're being the, the beef is being the scapegoat, and it's an easy scapegoat for the, for the this carbon industry thing that's going on at the moment. Beef seems to be an easy scapegoat because farmers aren't one to be on the front foot and be in the face of the media promoting what they're doing. We're always in the media for negative things. You know, we see live export and all these things that go wrong um, and farmers are just on the back foot of that. So I think having a, a business where, where it's like ours or some other bodies that come involved and be on the forefront telling the good stories of agriculture and the impact that agriculture does have on the environment, the positive impact will be much more beneficial than going down the path of this plant-based meat program. And I think that just like back then when the fat and the sugar craze happened, we created a system that were terrified of fat, but now we're creating a system that's terrified of eating meat. And I think if we reverse that, you know, we don't want to have an industry of, of health professionals that are advising people not to eat meat because they've been told by agenda-driven companies that meat is bad for you. We need to be getting the real facts and taking the agendas out of it and the money that's backing these messages out of it and just do what's right for people's health. 
Well, I think um, here, here, I think, you know, with, it, with the... Oh, shit, mate, you're running for a politics. When Bianca is the Prime Minister... <laughs> Um, she's gonna. Yeah, she's gonna. She's red dog is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, yeah, wouldn't be the first one. Um, you all got to. Can you combine the um, health department with the agriculture department? That'd be that'd be lovely. Um, it's interesting that um, and I think whether it's the. I mean, there's no money in in health in health. You know, for for those making money, like the amount of people are making in health is. Those who are making money in health are the ways, those who are ultimately supporting illness yeah, right. by, by you know, medications that aren't actually looking at the, the cause of these illnesses. And um, for those who are making fake meat, um, it's not farmers making fake meat, it's organisations who want to make a whole lot of money out of it. If if everyone, everyone ate meat, you know, sourced locally like what you, you guys are doing or at least sourced from knowing where it's coming from, then there's no money for anyone else. You know, you guys, you guys are in business, and you're dealing directly with farmers, and you have your logistics team and your processes, whatever else. It is somewhat of a closed loop, right? It's a business that is doing its thing and contributing in a big way. It's not a corporation based in America who has its finger in a whole lot of different pies, and they hate that. Mm. They hate the fact that you and a lot of other farmers are independent and you're sovereign and you've got good businesses based on, you know, science and not based in fear and you're based on support and storytelling as opposed to what can we... What can we create in the population? How can we scare the crap out of them to make them buy a product mm. that they'll make in the lab? I mean, that's the, that's the black and white of it all. Yep. There's a lot of marketing that's going behind it. And it's a really good campaign by these companies. Oh, they're, they're, they're doing a great job because they've got a shit product. Yeah. You know, and there's actually a whole lot of there's, – there's actually not much behind it because there are these claims about, oh, if you eat our frankenfoods, you're going to save the planet because there's less cows. It's like, well, hang, that's bullshit in itself. But well, hang on, let's look at the product. Let's look at the glyphosate in there. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look at the the the, the chlorine because it's got to be these things have got to be made in sterile environments. Let's look at the nutrients or lack of nutrients. Yep. Let's look at all the other preservatives and all the other crap in there. Like they are sidestepping all that really easily and really well. And it's I, like I'm going, can people not just do their own homework on this? I guess we've become a, a population, a species that's so reliant on others telling us what to do or what yeah, what, what, what what is, you know, what's right or wrong. Start it up. Here we go. Wind it up. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> now you've got me all flustered. I no, think if more people choose to eat a product, a protein that is – sustainably farmed, ethically produced, grass-fed, it will have a profound impact on the environment, much greater than reducing our meat consumption so we don't have any cows on the planet anymore. And I think, like, if we were to take out the agendas of those companies and to continue to source meat ethically, sustainably and locally, the, the impact would be astronomical. I had other things to say, but I forget. <laughs> what are you, what are your just changing tack for me? What are your different strengths? Do you think maybe Bianca, you tell me what Dave's strengths are. Um, as a as a you know, I mean, you're 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 a couple, not husband and wife. Um, but what which does not matter at all, by the way. Um, what are, what are some of Dave's strengths that he's kind of you know, his personality and, and his tendencies and maybe some bad habits? I don't know that he's brought. That makes you guys you you have got to you to this point and, and the success that you are. Is this been recorded? <laughs> I mean, I'll send you a copy. Anything okay. I can, I can, I can send you a little snippet. Me. And every time she gets up, you go. You remember saying this about me? Oh well, I'd have to say um, Dave's 
um, team strengths, I guess. You know, he's very good at engaging people, talking to people, building relationships. It's probably not something that I'm super good at, but Dave's very good at that. Um, he does chew his fingernails, which is a little bit annoying, but I'll let him it's slip on good things, mate. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's not a compliment sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'll edit that bit out. Yeah, the, um, probably his spontaneous view on life like we never do the same thing twice um every day is different there's a lot of spontaneity that goes on and it's always eventful like our life is never is never dull i would say hmm. dave you have the opportunity to um reply rebut more rebuttal um oh well, i'll just think that bianca is an amazing implementer like I've never seen someone that can get as much shit done as she does, I guess, probably. Uh, and I guess probably not coming from a marketing background, but she always was asked, like, what what degree or what marketing, did? where did you study marketing or whatever? Because, you know, we, have, we had marketing people that worked for us that couldn't do what she'd done as well, just being authentic and just um, telling a story. So the storytelling side of what she can achieve is great. Um, and I think just being so organised, like I'm not organised at all. I think if you go through my inbox and my emails at the moment, I've got about eight and a half thousand that are unread. But, you know, once they're gone from one scroll, they're gone forever. But, you know, her, her life and her uh, area of uh, what she looks after is really well organised. So, Thank you. No worries. I'll give you a copy of that as well. Oh, yeah, um, so if Dave, if Bianca is, um, uh, I, look, I'm going to say marketing, social media, administration to some degree, is that fair to say? Like at least you're getting through your emails. Yeah. yeah. What, what's Dave do when he's not looking at his inbox? Uh, Dave procures our livestock, so he builds the relationship with our farmers. He does a very, very good job at that. You know, drives all over the countryside, makes really good relationships with those guys. He also looks after our finances and I, you know, I've no idea how he does that and I think he's probably sheltered me from a lot of the pressure that he was under for you know a good probably 18 months to two years probably still now to this day like he didn't you know we would talk about it but he wouldn't um, open up to probably the full extent that he would have liked to to um, I guess to protect me from that a little bit because things were really tough you know we were growing a business at an exponential rate with zero cash before we did the crowdfund so it was really really tough like I think he was probably borderline about to have a nervous breakdown but just the day-to-day runnings of the finances our team the culture within our team and the the, the livestock is a difficult is a difficult job like it's hard to coordinate four different proteins to turn up here to make sure we we don't run out of meat to process our orders every day. So, you know, although I do a lot of the forward-facing side of the business, the glamorous stuff like the social media and the marketing and all that stuff that everyone sees on the news all the time, Dave really makes sure the back end of the business runs every day. Um, so you're basically so, so you're you're managing Dave like the 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 make sure that the freezers are full basically. Just, yeah, just all the processing. Um, you know, different abattoirs all over Australia and then the the livestock recruitment as well, making sure that we've got animals that are booked in in advance, you know, for, from different farmers and things like that as well. So, and then obviously the financial side of things, everyone needs to get paid. And Can I just say that Dave left school in year eight? So he probably doesn't know his timetables, but he's managed to run our business, mm. you know, at a you know medium to large size company it is now with very little 
schooling, education. Mm. So, how long have you been in this facility? Uh, just on February last year, we moved here. We come okay. here with four people. Yep. In February last year, and now wow. there's forty something in here. So. Wow. And that was a moving into this facility was a massive step for us like we were in our little butcher shop which we were growing out of but to move into this facility was probably three steps too big Big you know like Dave said we had four staff we were still small Mm. in the scale of things and we never ever thought we would grow into this place but we have in the last 18 months and you know yeah it was probably a little bit too big of a step but we've managed it's kind of like a shed you always seem to fill it up um, tell me, um, I'm just conscious of the time. Also, what we'll do, if it's okay, is do a little 10, 15-minute Q&A for our Patreon members, so those who who, who very gratefully, um, they for $10 a month, they get transcripts of all our interviews, they get um, a, a weekly video from me, just what I'm up to and where I am and so on. They get a monthly webinar with some of our guests, with one of our guests each month, um, and a few other bonus things like that. I'm sure I've forgotten other other, other benefits. Um, but and they, well, actually, then, then in between seasons, we... Do, we, we feed them the Q&As just for them of our guests, which we'll do one after. Is that cool? I've got yeah, a sort of standard yeah. set of questions to do. No um, what are your two questions? I might leave that other one for the for the thing. Um, I want to find out. Here's a carrot. I want to ask you who your mentors are and who's helped you along the way, been influential, but you have to be a patron member to find that, that out. But I will you ask, ask you, what are some of your... Um, what are some of your sort of secrets of your success? Has there been, um, uh, like, are there, are there some, like, um, non-negotiable, like, things that you do or don't do? Is, it, is there sort of some phrases or, or quotes you return to as it sort of keep you on track that kind of keep you, you know, that you scribble in the back of a diary or you have on a wall in an office or something that's just like, you know, this is how we operate? Is any of those sort of signature business kind of mantras? Yeah, for me, I guess, um, having a morning routine. So exercise, meditation, journaling, um, reading books. Like I read a lot of books as well. Uh, it's probably something that if someone said to me five or ten years ago that I'd be meditating half an hour each day of a morning, like I would have laughed at them. I would have thought they're just all full of shit. You well, know? Yeah. yeah. But um, I spent a lot of time trying to have self-development as well, like work on myself. Like Nick said, you know, I left school pretty early and um, got onto the farm and, and worked the farm at home when I was young and I, I didn't really have that much of an education, I guess. So um, just really educating yourself and trying to develop yourself as you as you grow up. Mm. You know, still I, I still learn things every day, so that's something for me. So what's your morning look like, the normal morning? Um, exercise, get up, exercise. What time do you get up? Uh, about 4.30, you know, exercising. Um, and then, you know, do some meditation for half an hour as well, some affirmations, you know, telling myself things throughout the morning and um, those affirmations, just, just you know, reaffirm yourself. And because business is just such an up and down uh, roller coaster of emotions. Like one day you could be on top of the world, you think that you're like, you know, you're just winning at life. And then the next day you just feel like sticking your head in the sand. So um, it's always up and down, but you need to have a level playing field. And those affirmations just really affirm that. Um, and then, you know, get on to some journaling as well. Always write out what my intentions are for the day and just, you know, making sure that that habit is, is there. And then anything that I have. 
um, worries or doubts about, I guess, in my in my life and my my day, and I write that out and and get that off of my chest, and then I feel like I'm so much more productive throughout the day if I do those few things in in the morning. Where'd you learn the journaling sort of stuff from? Um, I think just like reading and and having a couple of mentors that basically tell you. Um, you know, to be someone that runs a business of any substantial scale, you need to be a different sort of person, I guess. Like, uh, I love going to the pub and drinking beer with my mates like anybody does, but I think to be able to be able to handle the emotional pressure and the roller coaster every day, you've got to do things a little bit differently and, you know, um, yeah, just just be really just, – just look at life a little bit differently. So, Cool. Bianca, what about you? Um, much the same as Dave. Like we probably have a very similar morning routine. So it involves exercise, meditation, um, because we're a lot more office based now. Like we're not on the farm every day. The exercise part is still is very important because we're not out manual labour all the time. Like I, you know, I wish we were. Wish we were out fencing because I love that job. But you know, we do need to take our health very importantly because I think if we don't have our health, we don't have anything, and it goes hand in hand with running a grass fed meat company. Um, affirmations are very important reading books to further educate yourself not not so much like you know education as in university degrees but personal development personal education and uh, making yourself a better person and yeah affirmations and being okay with who you are because I think if you're okay with who you are then you're okay with who everyone else is as well awesome well all of that is certainly standing you all in good stead to who to have created and creating and continue to a wonderful business um and i look forward to following you um through the next you know chapters um and i think you it's a real credit to you and you're both very humble humble people and i think that's also important you know and and you're just getting on and doing it and it's been a real pleasure and honour to sit with you guys here um, and learn so much more about you. And really proud of you too. I think it's awesome what, you, what you're doing. Appreciate that, Charlie. We're um, we're out of time for this one. Um, for those who aren't Patreon members, how rude you should get on my website and join up charliearnott.com.au. Um, and for ten dollars a month, you get all that other stuff I talked about before. And you will, if you do, learn about some other some the answers for some other questions I want to ask these two in a minute um, Dave and Bianca awesome thank you so much for your time um, and uh, yeah so look forward to following you and we'll do a little another little interview just after this yep. just stretch your legs have a drink thank you thanks guys And next week on The Regenerative Journey, my guest is Tom Mulligan. He uh, is a farmer um, up in uh, Glen Innes in uh, northern Tablelands of New South Wales. On his family farm there, doing some amazing things. He's a member of the uh, Highland Beef Pastoral Company uh, farmer and grazier um, group and, uh, and uh, doing you know, some wonderful things with them in collaboration, uh, fattening their grass-fed animals, and that's all going overseas. Um Great yarn with Tom. Lovely. I've known Tom for some years now. It was just great to sit down with him in his, in his, you know, simply his family home, have the chat, talk about farming, talk about his life, talk about Holland beef. It's a good yarn. That's next week. Tom Mulligan on the Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate, and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.